0: Arthur Galston was an American botanist and professor at Yale University who had dedicated his life to helping plants grow. Early in his career, Arthur focused on triiodobenzoic acid. Did I say that right, Jason? Is he here? He left. Okay. Triiodobenzoic acid, which is a hormone that helps the flowering of soybeans. Well, you hear that and you think, "Well, Arthur's research with soybeans sounds harmless and perhaps somewhat nerdy." We had no idea that his work would later be developed by biological warfare scientists from Britain and the United States to develop a chemical called Agent Orange. Agent Orange was a herbicide chemical that was used by the U.S. military during the Vietnam War. Its purpose was to wipe out the enemy's food supply, but it turned out to be very harmful to the people who were exposed to it, including Vietnamese civilians and U.S. soldiers. Well, Arthur Galston was appalled that his research, his work, was now being used as a weapon. His creation gone bad. So Arthur began to lobby the U.S. government to end the use of Agent Orange. And once Arthur and other scientists got the Department of Defense to do further testing on the chemical, they realized how dangerous it was to people. And President Nixon ordered the halt of the spraying of Agent Orange in 1971. Arthur Galston sought to destroy, to put to an end, that which he created. Even though Agent Orange was never his intention. Perhaps Galston who witnessed his creation inflict damage upon millions of people, perhaps he understands just a little bit how God felt in the days of Noah. The creator makes something beautiful, and he calls it very good. Be fruitful and multiply, God says, but we know how the story goes. God watches in horror as the creation turns against the creator and as it turns in against itself. In Genesis 6:5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil. Continually, every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts is another way of saying that these people thought of nothing else but evil. They obsessed over it. We're not talking about card playing and dancing here. Violent is repeated several times. Describing humanity at this point in time. They apply their God-given human ingenuity toward violence and oppression. This is humanity fulfilling their greatest potential, but for darkness. Look how frequently the word corrupted appears in chapter 6, 11, and 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways. The word corrupted that's repeated so often there means to be ruined, permanently soiled. Like when you make a vase and it breaks and it can no longer serve its purpose or its function, it is ruined, corrupted, unfixable is how humanity is described here. This is total depravity. All flesh had corrupted its ways, the scripture says. All creation, everyone, was ruined. To understand the scale of evil, you have to think Darfur, Rwanda, the Holocaust. Think the killing fields of Cambodia. This is war and brutality and violence, but on all sides. All of humanity was inclined toward bloodshed. God looks at his creation at its worst, and it breaks his heart. In the story of Noah, God isn't angry. God is sad. God is not a ruthless tyrant. He is a troubled and grieving parent, tired of watching his children kill each other. Genesis 6.6, 6, and the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind, and it grieved him to his heart. The NIV reads that God's, God's heart was full of pain. This is the part in the story where God looks at humanity, that which was created for relationship, that which was created for love and harmony and peace, and God sees the killing and says, I've made a monster. Scripture literally says God was sorry that he made humankind. If you ever wonder how God feels about the horrors of this world, well, this is it right here. We often love to ask, what kind of God would let this stuff happen? But how frequently we shy away from asking, what kind are people to let this stuff happen? To do this to one another. God gives us a command and with that command it is implied that we have a choice to obey it or not. God commands us to love him and to love each other and we have a choice whether or not we're going to do that. The truth is the dysfunction of creation is a direct result of the human heart. And our rejection of God. God looked at his creation and saw that which was created for good turn evil. All humanity had rebelled against God. But there was Noah. Noah, the scripture says, found favor in the sight of God. Noah was righteous, blameless in his generation. The scripture says he walked with God. Noah reminds us of our human potential, that faithfulness is possible even in this dark world. Noah walked with God. Noah was seen by God in a world of violence, in a world that seemed completely ruined. God looked at Noah and saw hope. Someone willing to listen. With Noah, God saw potential for his creation. This is a God who won't give up on his creation for the sake of one righteous person. He sees the one righteous and says that he's going to try this all over again, but through Noah's family. Humanity made me so sad that I wanted to wipe it all off and just stop. But God says... I'm going to keep going. I'm going to stick with Noah. I'm going to try again. So Noah listens and obeys to God, obeys God, and he builds the ark. Many have speculated about Noah's neighbors. Some have suggested that, that Noah's neighbors must have taunted him or persecuted him. Perhaps they made fun of him. The reality is, we don't know. The scriptures don't say. But it's safe to assume that Noah would have looked ridiculous building the ark. It would not have made any sense to his neighbors. But the truth is, sometimes faithfulness will not make sense to our neighbors. And when the days of the flood were over, Noah's first act was to worship God. And God made a covenant with Noah and said, I will never again flood and destroy the earth. The sign of this covenant will be my bow that I set in the clouds. Many scholars believe that this bow refers to a rainbow, but that it also symbolizes God's bow as in his bow and arrow. He's hanging up his weapon for us to see, to be reminded that he's never going to use it again. When I read Noah, I'm drawn to the surprising and almost bizarre ways God is depicted. We see God feel remorse for creating humanity. So God decides to flood the world, and then after he does that, he says, I'm never going to do that again. God's methods of salvation change, and I'm thankful for that. But God also says, after the flood, the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Genesis 8. He says that after the flood has taken place. Humanity is still evil. God knows exactly what he is saving. It almost seems like the flood has changed God more than it's changed us. Regardless, we find in this story a God who promises To stand with his creation forever. The first covenant God makes in Scripture, he makes with Noah, and it is completely one sided. God God promises that he will stand with his creation, but he asks nothing in return. He merely warns humans about the perils of violence with the following proverb from Genesis 9. Whoever sheds the blood of a human by a human, that person's blood shall be shed. For in his own image, God made humankind. In other words, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. We are created in the image of God. There is sanctity in life and God's desire is for humanity to live in peace. But people will continue to be corrupt. We still see this today. Friends, moral progress is a myth. But that's not the end of God's story. This is a God who is relentless in not giving up on his creation. He is relentless in seeing his creation become that which he intended it to be. So much so that he becomes one of us in the person of Jesus Christ to seek and save that which has been corrupted. Jesus models for us what it means to be human, to love, to care, to sacrifice. And friends, God is still fighting for his world. God is making his appeal through us. Paul says that we are God's ambassadors. Today, this morning, right now, God is searching for more Noahs. Those who are willing to listen and obey. Those who thirst to see this world transformed as God does. Noah, we are told, was righteous, but he was not perfect. He listened to God and obeyed, but friends, this is the same guy that after having saved all the animals was found naked and drunk by his sons after he partied way too hard after the flood. It's not about being perfect. It never has been about being perfect. It's about listening to the God who is perfect. The reason God's story is epic is because God is epic. It's not about us making it epic. The reality is, out of God's abundant grace, he chooses to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's why our God is Is epic. Scripture tells us that God is making a new creation, transforming this old ruined world into his eternal kingdom. And the process of this journey that God is transforming is epic. It is an epic journey. And it begins. For you, for me, their willingness to listen to God as Noah did. Let's pray. And as we pray, friends, I'd like to invite our choir to come.